news is at some point in time, your kids get old enough that they can take you on vacation with them <laughs> on their dime. That's awesome. Hint, 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 hint. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I love when we can lift our voices in truth as we worship in song. Isn't that rich? You know, we're going to talk this morning about um, how critical it is that we have a relationship with God that, that we understand the significance of. Um, and, and coming and, and experiencing the presence of the Lord in, in song with talented people, with powerful lyrics, is, is, is just a great way to deepen our spiritual awareness of God. And I just love it. I love it when, I mean, these guys work hard. Um, Ricky works hard at, at finding songs that send the right messages and stuff. And boy, to allow the Holy Spirit to take that and to capture us and to um, allow us to experience him in, in, a, in a significant way is powerful. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about that whole um, relationship with Christ that I, I think is so critical because, you know, Jesus, when he was leaving his ministry in um, John 13, if we turn to John 13, verse 1, it says, Now, therefore, the feast of the Passover, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so here's, the, here's the, the, the place Jesus is at. He's finished his ministry. He, he's going to depart to the Father. So the question is, is really, you know, what is he going to tell his disciples? He's going to be leaving. So what is he going to tell his disciples? How is he going to prepare them for his departure? And here's a challenge that Jesus has that none of us will ever have, which is a good thing, is that Jesus was like the man. Okay, Tony's going, I'm the man, I don't understand. No, he, he is the man. I mean, think about this. You're the disciples, you've walked with Jesus. And Jesus walked on water, he's laying asleep in the boat. Remember, the, and the disciples come, the boat's sinking, what, don't you care that we're perishing? He stands up, he looks around, he says, hush, the sea stops, it calms down, and the disciples goes, who is this guy? Who is this guy? You know, they go across the lake, and this guy comes out, he's wild, and he's a demonic, nobody will go near him, he's taking, tearing chains off the walls, he's tearing things up, and Jesus goes, get out of him. And these guys fly out, get into a bunch of pigs, run them into the water, I mean, this is Jesus. He casts out demons. He walks on water. He stills the water. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. I mean, he's, he's the man, and, and, and the disciples have been walking with him and have been experiencing this. What an unbelievable experience they've been going through. Now, here's a challenge that Jesus is dealing with, and this is a challenge that I believe that we as Christians deal with, is that Jesus had the power. Jesus was the man. Jesus was all-powerful. Jesus was God. The problem was is that the apostles' expectation of Jesus was not what Jesus' purpose was. Are you guys with me? 
That, that's the challenge, is they wanted Jesus to come and rule Rome. They wanted Jesus to come and take over. They wanted Jesus to come and conquer. That isn't why Jesus came. Did it change who Jesus was? Because Jesus didn't want to conquer Rome, could he no longer heal the sick or raise the dead or conquer Rome, by the way? No, that's not why he came. It wasn't his purpose. And so Jesus in, in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, it's a great read, is talking to his disciples about, hey, I'm leaving, I'm going away. John 14, he says, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you can't come. But I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And the disciples are going, what, what are you talking about? You're going away and we can't go with you. Where can you go that we can't go? Because Jesus was invincible. It never even occurred to them that he was going to die. I mean, that, was, that wasn't even in their mind. I mean, he, there, there wasn't even a possibility. Jesus is invincible. I mean, he baffled the Pharisees. I mean, they tried to kill him a few times, and he just kind of disappeared through them all. I mean, they've seen him do amazing things. They never even conceived the thought that his going away was that he was going to die. So he's telling them, I'm going to go away. Where I go, you can't go. But I have to go because if I don't go, then the Holy Spirit won't come. And so he's starting to talk to them about this. And when he gets to John 15, and I want us to turn a couple pages over to John 15, because now he starts talking about something that is critical for the disciples to understand if they're going to shift gears from their expectations to God's purposes. So Jesus somehow has to get these guys to move from what their expectations are to what his purpose is. And for them to get their arms around that and to understand it, because even as he's been talking to them about that over the last several weeks, they weren't getting it. And understandably, they wouldn't get it. We get it, right? We read the end of the book. Yeah. I mean, it's easy. I don't know why they didn't get it. But they, how could they understand? How could they even comprehend? Because everything that they knew was that this Messiah was going to come and he was going to be a conquering hero. That's Old Testament teaching. That's what they're expecting. And that's not what Jesus was coming to do. And so he's trying to help them understand this. And so in John 15... The first five verses, he really shifts gears on them. And he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What a powerful message to send to these guys. And, and, and again, imagine what, what they're hearing and what they're thinking and what they're experiencing and what Jesus is saying. This doesn't even make sense to them. You know, he, 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 in the upper room, he washes their feet. And after he's, they're done in there, he says, let us go. So they're probably walking through some vineyards and stuff. And he looks at this and he uses a great chance to illustrate his truth. And he's talking to them and he's saying, listen, stuff that you want to do, you can't do. You know, Doug had this message um, a couple of weeks ago where he was talking about Jesus calling us. And he says he calls us to come and then he calls us to follow. You guys remember that? 
Yeah, not at least so I can tell Doug, yeah, they remembered what you said, Doug. <laughs> you know, he's, he call, called, uh, called us to come and then to follow. And as we follow, we grow in him and we experience him. And at the end he says, and you can do it. You know, and I, uh, and I, I said, well, Doug, I don't think we can. Um, but we can. But, but in this context, we can't. And this is the message Jesus wants the disciples to understand is you can't. But I can. So you can't but Jesus can. And he's talking to these guys. He goes, look, if you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. If you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit because without me, you can do what? Nothing. You can't. You can't. Apart from me, you can't. The only way that we're going to bear fruit is if we abide in him. And, and, the, and the only thing that will, be, that will happen as we abide in him is we will bear his fruit. I mean, this is a rich truth because if you look at a bunch of fruit, I mean, it, it's, a, it's an awesome sight. And there's this, this you know, that all this fruit that's being, that's being grown and it's bearing fruit. And here's the thing. As, as I've, I've been to wineries and stuff and I've walked by the, the grapevines and stuff and I've seen all these grapes and I've stopped and I've listened. I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe you can do this, and if, and if you hear something different, you can tell me. But I stop and I listen. I listen as carefully as I can, and, and I don't hear anything like this. I don't hear it. <clears throat> you know, I, I don't hear any grapes trying to grow, you know? And they just know if they just try harder that they'll get a little more plump, that maybe they'll turn a little more purple, that maybe somehow... They're just plugged into the vine. They're plugged into the vine. They're immersed in the vine. And as they're immersed in the vine, they grow. They get their nourishment. They get all that they need for them to become very productive grapes to be used by what, in whatever way the vine dresser wants to use them, right? And they're used for different things, for different reasons, um, based on the, the vine grower, not based on the grape. The grape doesn't go, okay, I'm, I'm ready, and here's what you, I want you to do with me. Does that ever happen? It would, be un- it would be crazy for that to happen, right? So the, the ability for us to, uh, to understand that we need to be immersed in Christ, that we need to abide in Christ, is so critical because here's the reality of what it means to be a Christian. When we're a Christian, we need to understand that He is our source for everything that we're going to grow in. He is our source of security. He is our source of nutrition. He is our source of recognition. He is our source of significance. He is our source of purpose. All that we are is determined by who Christ is in us. And this is the message that he's trying to get to the disciples. Your reason for existing is me. That's right. The reason that we exist is for Christ. And it's difficult for us to get our arms around that because we're so immersed in everything else. And it's so difficult to become immersed in spiritual things when we're so constantly immersed in worldly things. And Jesus is telling his disciples, you guys need to understand, you have to be so plugged into me that all that you are, all that you're becoming, all that you desire, all that is a part of who you are comes from me, only from me. And then based on what's coming from me will be the fruit that gets produced. It doesn't happen by us trying harder, by us trying to be more disciplined, by us trying to do it on our own power. It happens because we plug into Christ, 
we get immersed in who Christ is, we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, and then the Holy Spirit uses us through the power of Christ to do things that God wants us to do. That's a critical thing that God wants us to do. And when we get our arms around that, it makes a big difference because Jesus is really starting a new, a new a, a transition from Old Testament to New Testament. Old Testament Holy Spirit was the Holy Spirit came upon people. So you read the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit came upon Elijah, the Holy Spirit came upon Elisha, the Holy Spirit came upon Saul, the Holy Spirit came upon David, the Holy Spirit came upon Samson. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they did mighty works. The Holy Spirit worked in them. But then the Holy Spirit also left Saul. And David prayed, please, in Psalm 51, don't take the Holy Spirit away from me when he totally blew it. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells us. It's, a, it's, it's the power of the Spirit that works within us. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an awesome concept of Jesus understanding how, he's trying to communicate that to his disciples. Because he knew that the challenge of them getting their arms around that was going to be unique because that's totally foreign to them. And this, this abiding in him and, and having the Holy Spirit come in them and, and dwell in them and them becoming a new creature was something they had never experienced and they won't until Pentecost. But then in the New Testament, we see that. We see John, Peter and John full of the Holy Spirit. We see, um, just lost them, full of the Holy Spirit of Gaston. Um, who was it? Stephen. I knew it would come. So, I mean, it's a, in the New Testament, there are people full of the Holy Spirit because they, they were infused with Jesus. And so he, he knew stuff that they couldn't know and he was trying to pass this stuff on to them. His death and resurrection literally changed everything. It changed everything. And Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for that, that understanding and that experience. For us, it's so critical because the Holy Spirit is in us. When we give our life to Christ, when Jesus becomes Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. And we experience His power, and then we are, by God dwelling in us, we are bearing fruit based on the purposes that God has for us and the ways that God wants to lead us. And Paul talks about this, and he tries to help us understand some of, of how that works out in practical ways. So I just want to cover, go to a couple of passages where Paul is talking to us. One is in Romans 8. So if we turn to Romans 8 real quick. Paul really starts talking about um, this, this contrast now in the New Testament between the old nature and the new nature. And as Christians, this is what we really have to get our arms around is understanding the, the difference in the old nature and the new nature and also the difference between the old nature and our flesh, the world, and Satan. So in Romans 8, Paul says this in verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now in Scripture, whenever you read, see the word therefore, you want to know why it's therefore, right? So then you go back to Romans 7 and you look at Romans 7, and in Romans 7, Paul is taking time talking about the law and how the law had no power. All the law could do is tell us what we were doing wrong, but it didn't have the power to change us. And so Paul says, you know, I, I see in the law that I'm not supposed to do this, and so everything that I want to do, I'm not doing, and everything I don't want to do, I find myself continually doing. He, go, he goes, man, the wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this wretched man? And we all can go, amen, Paul, I know exactly how you feel, right? 
everything I want to do, I'm not doing. Everything I don't want to do, I find myself continually doing. And then Paul goes on and he says, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that good news or is that good news? Amen. Because he says, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, for if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So Paul now is, is teaching us that, that there, there's an old nature and there's a new nature. People who have a, an old nature, who, who do not have the Spirit of God in them, who are not saved, who have not, Jesus is not their Lord, have an old nature. They're going to do what's comfortable in their old nature. It does not, it, it would be impractical, illogical, and impossible for us to expect somebody who doesn't know Christ to act like somebody who does know Christ. And so often as Christians, we want that to happen. We want people to behave in a way that is not their nature. But for us as Christians, we have a new nature. Jesus came, died, and rose again from the dead so that the old nature gets crucified with Christ and we're born again into a new nature. You see, how many of you have seen fish swimming around in the water? Pretty, pretty, pretty nice, huh? I mean, I, I am really amazed all the time when I see, when I see them. Because, I mean, first of all, they just do their thing, right? But the thing that's really impressive is, is and I don't know how they do this, but man, they just twitch their tail and they're just gone. I mean, it's almost, you, you, have you ever tried to grab one? I mean, it's like, they're gone. They just, it's, they're just gone. They, and they stand in water forever. I try to do that. I can't do that. But, but if you take a fish out of water, what happens? Yeah, they flip their tails and they do all that stuff and they're, they're pretty not productive because that's not their nature. That's not their natural place to be. Their natural place to be is in the water. Now, they might be able to flip around enough to get back in the water, back into their natural environment where they actually can survive, but their nature is not to be in the water. I mean, not to be out on the land. So they're ineffective, they're not effortless anymore, and if they don't get back in the water, they're going to die, right? Because that's not their natural environment. For us, it's the same way. It's we have, if we understand that we have two environments, one is the old nature, one is the new nature. When we are saved, the old nature is put to death. It's put to death. You will never have the old nature again as a Christian. We have a new nature. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5 and look at this real quick. And this will all make sense, hopefully. Because it makes sense in my mind. Second Corinthians is just a couple of books over from Romans. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. We're a new creation, we're a new creature. So as a new creature, we are no longer in the old environment. We are no longer in the old nature. Are you with me? We're no longer in the water. We're no longer swimming around in the water. We are now out where we're experiencing who God created us to be. We're able to be who God created us to be. The way that we become complete in the way and the way we bear fruit in that is by doing what? Abiding in the vine, correct? Who's the vine? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you bear much fruit. If you don't abide in me, what happens? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't, you can't, you can't. The only way you can is by abiding in Christ as a new creature. Now here's our challenge. Because even though the old self is gone, the old nature is gone, we still have the flesh, we still have the world, and we still have who that's, uh, that's uh, attacking us. The enemy, right? Satan. So here's the challenge. is Even though we are in the Spirit, what are we immersed in most of our day? The world. So we find ourselves as spiritual people with a new nature, totally immersed in the world, and wondering why we're struggling to walk with Christ. And, we're, and, and as we're immersed in the world, Satan has this way of taking our flesh, our desires, our wants, our needs, what the world tells us we should have. And he plugs that in. And so now here's what happens as Christians. We become people who take Almighty God and put our expectations on Almighty God and then expect God to do what we do, what we want Him to do, right? And so we say, here's what life should be, God. So if you just will join the club... Join what I want to do. And then we do one of three things. If God does what we want Him to do, we go, thank you, God. If God does more than we want Him to do, we go, praise God. If God doesn't do what we want Him to do, we go, God, what are you thinking? Right? So we thank Him, we, we praise Him, or we blame Him, depending on how He fits into our mold of what God should do for us to be successful people. Amen? Do we ever do this? This is a challenge for us as Christians. Because we take our expectations and we want God to live up to our expectations. And Jesus is telling the disciples, that isn't how it works. You need to abide in me because I have a plan and a purpose for you. And they really don't line up with your expectations. But they're way better. They're way better. And, and this is our challenge as people here because we get so immersed in the world, we can't we can't even understand that God has something better than what we think we should be doing. I mean, God couldn't possibly have something better than what I want to do in my career. God couldn't possibly have something better to do than what I want to do with my family or my house or my car or any of those things that we find ourselves immersed in. And then when things don't go the way we think they should go in our life, we, we're wondering why God isn't doing what God's supposed to do. And God is saying, why are you not plugged into me? Because the real goal is for you to be plugged into me and I'm going to nourish you, I'm going to empower you, I'm going to equip you, I'm going to allow you to be who you need to be to do what I want you to do. And we say, God, I am going to become whoever I need to be so that you can do what I want you to do, right? There's a slight difference here. There's a gap in expectations. And then it's so easy for us to become frustrated, to become angry, to become depressed, to become, you know, all kinds of things because God isn't conforming to our expectations. Do you want to have joy? you want to have peace? 
Jesus says, you will have my joy, and my joy will be made full. It isn't going to be made full by me you know, doing all the things you expect. It's going to be made full by you understanding, I have a plan for you, and it's a perfect plan, and I'm going to execute that perfect plan in a powerful way. This, this, this is so, so much of a struggle for us because it's really hard for us because we're so involved in what we see, what we feel, what we touch, what we handle, to, to step out of that and go, okay, God, what is it really that you, you want to do? And how do I be quiet and listen to you? And we get into this thing that if I just work harder, then maybe um, God will cooperate more, right? So if I just read my Bible more, if I just go to church more often, if I just pray longer, if I just do more, if somehow I do more, that God will do more. And what does Jesus say? You can't. You can't. Quit working so hard at it. Plug into me. I will empower you, and then I will direct you where I want you to do. And by the way, when you're doing what I want you to do, it's a lot easier than doing what you want to do and then expecting me to jump on board. Jesus said this a lot of different ways. Go to John 3. In John 3, a Pharisee came to him, was talking to him. He, didn't change, he doesn't change his message. So in John 3, starting with verse 1. A man, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. You guys have heard the story. A ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There's the flesh, and there's the there's old nature, there's a new nature. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, now how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? I mean, they weren't getting it when he was talking about earthly things, and now he's talking about heavenly things. They're definitely not going to be, they're definitely not going to get it. So what is this whole born-again thing? You know, we hear it all the time, you know, in, in, in the Christian language. You've got to be born again. You need to be born again. And it really comes from this conversation with Jesus. It comes from understanding that your old nature gets crucified on the cross, and you become a new creation. You become a new creature. You become a new creation in Christ. And as a new creation in Christ, as you abide in Christ, as you allow yourself to be full of the Spirit, as you allow God to immerse you in His purposes, in what He wants to do, in His plan, then we bear fruit. 
being plugged into Christ, being immersed into Christ, abiding fully in Christ. And as we're fully immersed in Christ, then, then um, Jesus continues the transforming work that happens when we're, when we're born again. And, and the illustration that Jesus used was a great illustration because we get born as Christians. I remember when I became a Christian, um, I knew how to do a lot of things. You know, I knew how to play basketball. I knew how to treat girls. I knew how to go on dates. I, knew, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff as a Christian. As a non-Christian, I knew how to cuss and swear and do all kinds of stuff if I wasn't playing well. If I was not a Christian, I knew, you know, how to relate to people you know, and parties and how to get drunk and how to do all those kinds of things. But when I became a Christian, I had no idea how you're supposed to treat a date as a Christian. I had no idea how you're supposed to behave in, in, you know, in a basketball situation as a Christian. And that was all stuff I needed to learn as I became more, um, uh, as I abided in Christ more. And as I learned more and as Christ began to work in me and do transforming work in me, and then I, I became who Christ needed me to come, become to behave the way he wanted me to behave in those situations. Does that make sense? That's the, that's the maturity, transforming work that Jesus does as we abide in him. He literally changes us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit gets more and more and more of us, and we find ourselves becoming more and more like Jesus. And when we're more and more like Jesus, we do things that Jesus does. And we start seeing people through Jesus' eyes rather than through our own eyes and through our own filters. We begin to relate to people more as Jesus does rather than the way we would see them through our own filters. And we begin to, um, to love people in ways that only Jesus could love people. Because the challenge that we have is, is when, we're, when we're really immersed in, in the world, it, it, the stuff that we feel and that we touch and that we hold on to and that we experience becomes our priorities, right? We get so immersed in our career that our career becomes everything that we do. We get so immersed in our families that our families become everything that we do. We get so immersed in you know, our, our houses or our cars or our, our, our interactions with our neighbors or so much of the stuff that we are immersed in as we dwell in the world that it becomes our priorities and then we end up revolving our God around those priorities and, and those things. And, and God becomes less and less of a priority, or maybe is. And I think if we honestly looked at our, at our life and says, okay, what it really is the most important thing in my life? What really is? Emotionally, what do I get most excited about? If I have a choice of going to church on Sunday morning or watching you know, the World Series or this football team or this basketball game or this event or whatever it is, what do I choose? Theoretically, right? If I have to decide whether I behave this way um, in my career and I do these things in my career or I, I behave this way in my career, what do I choose based on what Jesus is doing to me? I mean, this whole priority, do I, do I love people who are my neighbors even though they're behaving in ways that I don't like? Do, do I, I mean, there's, when we really think about abiding in Christ and bearing fruit, it's so much more than um, just 
the behavior. And this is a hard thing I, I, I knew I'd struggle with is trying to share it. Because being somebody who abides in Christ, it's about our being filled by God and his purposes and then using that in our daily life so that the things that we're doing, there's nothing wrong with having a great career. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with having a great family. There's nothing wrong with having a house. There's nothing wrong with having a car. There's nothing wrong with all the things that we're, we're a part of in the world. The, the, the challenge is when we're so immersed in that 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 becomes our priority. That takes all of our emotional energy. That's the thing that causes us to be frustrated or happy or joyful or discouraged. We're, our priorities are messed up, aren't they? But when, when our priority is in Jesus and when our priority is, is being immersed in who Christ is and being pleasing to God, like, like Paul was saying, if we're, not a, if, we're not, um, if we're in the flesh, we can't even please God. But if we're immersed in Jesus, then our priority becomes, I want to be who you want me to be in all situations. I want to wake up today and I want to be who you want me to be today in my relationship with my wife or in my relationship with my kids or what I do in my career or what I do with my business. I want you to be Jesus who, who moves me in that situation so that every day what I'm trying to do is align myself with who God wants me to be so when I'm going through my day, I'm going through my day more as Christ in me rather than me doing what I want to do and trying to plug God into it. Does that make sense? Because here's the thing, as we, as we kind of wrap this up and try to draw a little bit of uh, application. In John, in Ephesians 2.10, and Doug has shared this um, several times, but I think it's a great passage, and I think when we talk about um, abiding in Christ and bearing fruit, I think this passage um, really helps us to kind of see it in perspective. So in Ephesians 2.10, Paul is talking about um, us being his workmanship. He says, for we are his workmanship, or masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So we are his workmanship. Who created us? Whose masterpiece are we? So what would be the, what would be the likelihood of me coming to the master and saying, oh, by the way, here's what I want you to make me into. Okay, I, I want to come into the earth and here's three things I want you to do for me. I want to be 6'4", I want to be able to jump 50 inches, I want to be able to slam dunk, and I want to you know, be lightning fast, okay? Because there's an NBA team that wants me, okay? I'm probably 6'9", and all those things. I have to change it from when I was 20. When I was 20, 6'4", was a good height. You know, but, but who am I to tell the master how to create the masterpiece? Jesus, God is the, pot, is, is the potter, I am the clay. And so often, we want to tell the potter how to make us as clay. And Jesus says the only way that you're going to be able to be a masterpiece, because it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So God has made every one of us uniquely us. There is not another one of you anywhere in the world. And he made you uniquely you to do uniquely what he wants you to do. So he made you uniquely his masterpiece to fit perfectly in to his plan for creation, for his eternal plan that he has laid out beforehand. How do you as a masterpiece fit into his perfect plan for eternity? 
You abide in Christ. You abide in Christ. You have to be so immersed in Christ that as He fills you, you become the person that He wants you to be to do what He created you to do. It's just crazy for us as Christians to go, yeah, God, I know that, but you messed up. I am not your masterpiece. Because I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. What were you thinking? And, and if we're honest, so often we think that way, don't we? Guys, if we could get our arms around this, Jesus says if you obey my commandments, my joy will be in you and your joy will be made full. What could be more fruitful than going through life with the fullness of Christ and the joy of Christ? Waking up every morning and going, man, what a great day. Could you imagine if you could wake up every morning and go, what an awesome day. I can't wait to get into this day. Man, every day. Well, that can happen if we abide in Christ and Christ so fills us that it doesn't matter what we're going through. We know that we're in his perfect will. And we know he's an awesome God. We know he's a powerful God. We know he reigns eternal. We know he has a perfect plan. And we know he made me exactly the way he wants me to be and he put me exactly where he wants me to be to use me in his plan. And he's smart. He knows what he's doing. Man, if we could trust that, if we could immerse ourselves in Christ so that we're so much more immersed in Christ than we are in the world, than we are in the flesh, our life would be so much fuller, so much more rewarding, so much more significant, and it wouldn't be based on all the stuff that's going around us. But we're so immersed in the world that we get our significance and our purpose and our peace from what happens in the world around us. Amen? That is, that is not how God created us to be. Because everything that's happening around us is still in his control and he still has a plan, he still has a purpose, and he still wants to use us in that purpose. And it could be that it's all crazy because he has a perfect plan for you to be used in that craziness to eternally make a difference. And we get into the Eeyore thing going, oh, it's me, life is so miserable and I'm so joyful in the Lord. And, and the people that he sent us to to share the gospel with to change our life eternally looks at us and goes, I don't want that. I don't want that. One last thing as we wrap up. A couple chapters over in Philippians. We're born again like Jesus talked about. We're a new creation. So in Philippians 1.6, Paul says this. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are, we are Christians born again because of the work that Jesus did in our lives. And Paul knows that the good work that he began in us, he's going to continue to perfect until the day of Christ Jesus. And it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter what has gone on in your life. It doesn't really matter what's going to happen in your life. What really matters is that Jesus Christ has died and risen again, and his resurrection power dwells within you if you're a Christian. And his perfect plan for you is going to be carried out until the day of perfection, to perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. What he started, he's going to continue to perfect. And we should be encouraged in that. And our, our heart's desire should be that more than anything else, I want to know Jesus more. 
And this is what I, what I just wanted to, to, to help you understand. It's really, reading the Bible doesn't make you more godly in and of itself. There are people who know this book better than, than I'll ever know it who don't even know Jesus. You know, they don't even know Jesus. They're not transformed. They're not, love, they're not bearing fruit. Even praying more. There's people who, who go off and pray for hours and hours and hours and aren't bearing any fruit. It's, it's not the activity of us working harder that helps us to become more Christ-like. It's us using the vehicles, and we're going to cover this next week, of using what God has given us the way he has ordained it for us to be fed and nourished so we become more Christ-like through the Spirit, not through our efforts. We just want to work so hard at being a good Christian. And God says, you can't. You can't. Stop. But when we rest and go, man, I just want to abide. I just want to abide in him and, and acknowledge he's Lord. And I want to receive from him and his lordship. I want to obey him and his lordship. I want to acknowledge in all of my being, and this is the key, all of my being that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So you, 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 can't, you can say, yes, Lord. You can't say, no, Lord. You can say, no, right? And you can say, Lord. But you can't say, no, Lord. Because if you say, no, Lord, he is no longer Lord. So when we abide in him and all that we have is say, God, do what you want to do in me. Do the transforming work that you want to do in me. Have me walk in obedience, sensitive to you and sensitive to your spirit and all that you want me to be. And then I go out in my day with that mindset and that power. That's a transformational experience. Then the, the Lord is doing stuff in us and we're bearing fruit. It's a great thing, man. Next week we're going to look at that joyful life that God wants us to have. You ready for it? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are Lord. And Lord, it's your death and resurrection that brings us to a relationship with you and eternity.